Good morning and welcome to Monday Make Point. It is December the 14th and we are here at Rose of Sharon Baptist Church. Uh, Monday Main Point is brought to you by the pastors here at Rose of Sharon Baptist. Uh, I am Associate Pastor Jonathan Hendrickson, and as always, I'm joined uh, with me today is uh, Jeremiah Custer, our youth pastor, Blake Flincham, our children's pastor, and our senior pastor, Jeff McCarthy. We are continuing to talk about our uh, sermon series that we've been involved in over the last uh, couple of months now called Echoes from Exile. And we're looking at all the minor prophets and looking at how that sort of relates to where we are today. And this past Sunday sermon was uh, preached by Pastor Blake. He's here with us, of course. And um, it was over the prophet Haggai. And to give you just a quick background, there's not a whole lot to say about Haggai because it's a short book. Um, we're talking about only two chapters um, but Haggai takes place after the exile. So we've been talking, if you've been following along with us, we've been talking about how the prophets have all been prophesying that Babylon was going to come into Judah, take them into exile, uh, and destroy Jerusalem. And that once they were in exile, I believe it's Jeremiah the prophet who would say that they would be there for 70 years and then this, a remnant would return back to Jerusalem. God would preserve a remnant and they would go from Babylon, uh, where they were in exile, back into their home. And so when we get to Haggai, that's exactly what's happened. Seventy years have passed. Now Babylon has fallen to the Persians. And Cyrus is, uh, is king. And, and when Cyrus becomes king, he decrees that um, he gives a decree for people to go back to their homes, back, back out of exile. And he decrees that the, the Israelites should go back and rebuild Jerusalem, rebuild that place. So a, a small group of them leave and go there. And then during the reign of, well, they actually start, well, let me back up. They actually start rebuilding. They begin to try to rebuild the city and rebuild the temple. And during the reign of King Darius, um, what happens is, is they've stopped. They've, they've kind of have, have um, there's been some opposition and it's caused them to stop. And so they've stopped building on the temple and they haven't completed it. And Haggai comes in and this prophecy, this, these two chapters kind of cover four months where Haggai is coming in and basically just sort of giving them a strong kick you know, to get started again. Yeah. He's trying to encourage them to go back and rebuild the temple. And Blake pointed out yesterday that they're really um, throughout these these prof these prophecies or throughout this encouragement that he's giving them, he's basically uh, you know uh, he starts by telling them you need to get your priorities straight. You you're working on your own houses, but my house still is in ruins. And then he leaves, and, the, and he, th this gets them working on the temple again. He leaves, and they come back, and they're all discouraged because they see this temple, and it's not as good as the temple used to be. And so he's like. Hey, remember the promise, and he encourages them. You remember that you remember God. Remember God's what you're doing this for. You're doing this for God's glory, not your glory, but you're doing this for God's glory, and God will get glory in the end. Remember His promise to you even before you uh, were in Egypt, right? And He's telling God is going to the final glory of the house will be greater than the first. He says, and then um, a little bit more time passes, and He comes back and He sort of encourages them. He's like, look. Um, if uh, he talks to the priest and he says, "Priest, you know that uh, in the in the in the Mosaic law, according to the Mosaic law, if 
if you touch something that's defiled and, and, and something defiled touches something else, it becomes defiled, right? And they're like, well, yeah, of course that's the way it is. And, and he says, well, in the same way, you need to set the example. If you're defiled in what you're doing, if you're, if you're, not, do, if you're not remaining pure, then what's going to happen is you're going you're gonna to defile everything else that you're doing. And so Israel's just going to go right back to its ways of disobedience, right back to the ways that God is here to begin with. And then the final thing he points to, and I think this was your last point, Blake, the final one is that he points back to the promise. Mm-hmm. He says, I, I, you know, I have made a promise. Uh, I made a promise that, that I was going, I will one day uh, overturn the royal thrones and destroy the power of the Gentile kingdoms. I'll, I will do this and I'm going to usher in this time of peace, basically. And, and, and so you have these four sections, basically, of Haggai. And that's, that's the whole, that's sort of the whole package. And so, Blake, you were talking a lot about yesterday in, in terms, let's just kind of go through that message one more time. We'll talk about it a little bit more in, in depth. The first thing, honestly, that first point, I think, is the one that really hits home where we are. Because um, in much the same way, it's very easy for us to get so me-focused, so focused on what, what I want and, what, and, and taking care of my own house, then I neglect the things of God. And it seems that that's what they were doing at that time. Yeah, it was. And if you think about it, like you said, Jonathan, when they're coming back from exile, um, King Cyrus had said everybody needs to go back into their homelands and basically rebuild Jerusalem. And they probably got a little bit sidetracked because they wanted to focus on rebuilding themselves, rebuilding their families, which is okay in and of itself. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that. But throughout all that, while they're rebuilding, they are getting comfortable and they're forgetting that the Lord's house is in ruins Mm -hmm. and they're so focused on themselves. And I think that's why Haggai even mentions the pound houses. (laughs) Right. Pound houses in here because they're so focused on themselves and making sure that they're prospering it. But what about the Lord's house? It's not prospering. Right. And, and, And to think about that in terms of where we are right now, Jeff, it's... Um, it's it's easy, I guess, <clears throat> to to try and as we're trying to rebuild right now in some ways ourselves. I mean, we're trying to reconstruct. We're trying to sort of get back to okay, how do we build normal back again? And <clears throat> while it might be really tempting, I guess, to focus on on what what we can get back for ourselves, right? What restaurants and all and and entertainment and all the you know our gyms and all those kinds of things. What about the house of God? What about God's work? Do we, do we you know, um, is this a message that we can apply to, to that? Yeah, I think so because, um, like in especially today's world and a lot of the contemporary Christianity, uh, blessings are attributed to, I've got a nice car, a nice home, a nice job, nice children. Um, you know, I have these blessings, I have these material things. And the more I have, then the more I'm blessed. And then, then when they look at the church, then the whole point of the church is give us some of your money. And the more money you give us, the more you're going to be blessed. So, so right. we created this whole type of Christianity that that we don't really need to go back to. And yeah. I think during this time, I think just like like these people, you have to go back to the foundation. They had to go back and rebuild on a foundation. And so I think when we come back. 
Uh, we've been stripped of everything. We still have our buildings and all that, yes. But I think spiritually, um, God has said, okay, all, all this few months that you've done this, or uh, now that you get to come back, what are really the true foundational things we need to build on and, and, and not really get caught up in the whole physical material world that we've been caught up in? Right. Jeremiah, I've heard you talk about this in, 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 in some of the studies, Bible studies you've done. You've talked about how you actually like some of the things that we've discovered during this time that we've been away from normal worship, what we would have called normal worship. Um, in that, in that, it's it's sort of stripped things back. It's made things simple. Talk talk about that a little bit. Yeah. So especially uh, the beginning of the pandemic, people were were in disarray, um, just really confused and trying to hold on to things that just weren't essential. Uh, so we we were trying to make everything feel as normal as possible and stay as normal as possible until we just couldn't anymore, right? And so we were just trying to hold on uh, tight to, to things that just weren't essential. And so when I say I, I sort of like what's happening is, is just like we've talked about with all of these minor prophets, I like that we as the church could see this as a wake-up call from God, like that, that we can turn to Him and, and really grip and grab onto Him and, and let Him show us what is essential because he's the thing that won't get taken from us and uh just kind of make us uncomfortable so that we i'm not saying god made us uncomfortable but right we, we got uncomfortable and so in our un- uncomfort or discomfort um we we've made strides to kind of uh not become more comfortable sure but to become better worshipers mm. if that makes yeah. sense no i think that makes perfect sense yeah. you know the whole idea behind i know the 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 main part of your message was uh yesterday was about renewal yeah. um, like if we want to be renewed these are some steps we need to take absolutely the, and, and and evaluating our desires is step one and it's what we're talking about here um is it possible for me to um to still have things, you know, Jeff, you mentioned, we, we do tend, as Americans especially, we do tend to think of job, car, home, as blessings for God. The more that we have, the more we're blessed from God. Are those things necessarily, uh, would you call them necessarily hindrances from being able to be renewed? Do they necessarily have to set, serve as hindrances? Or is there a place in which uh, those two things can coincide with one another. Does that make sense to you? Understand yeah. what I'm asking? Yeah, I think they can. I think they can coincide. And what? And the problem with idol worship is when we take something good and turn it into an idol. Yeah. And, and we can do that with anything. You know, we can do that with food, houses. You know, people do it with pain medication, anything like that. We can turn into idols. So I don't think these things. Like, of course, we need shelter. Right. We need food, we need clothes, but when that becomes our obsession and when that becomes our main desires, that's when we got to take a step back and be like, oh, okay, we, yeah, we need to evaluate these. Right. Yeah, and that was the problem with the Jews here is that this had become their idols. The food had become their idols, their clothes, their paneled houses. Right. Yeah. And, and, and Jeff, really living a Christian life, 
is different than living the American dream, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, those are two different things. Doesn't mean that everything is is necessarily wrong with um, with pursuing success as we see it. I mean, there's plenty of people who do that, mm-hmm. but it can't be your I guess main drive, right? If, if right. Christ, if Christ yeah. is going to be the center of our of our not just our Christ has to be more than just the center of our theology. He also has to be um, the driving force behind the practical things we do as well. I, I guess is what I'm trying yeah, to say. Yeah, and a lot of us like what what motivates you, right? So um, so when they came back, their whole purpose to come back, and it was a voluntary uh, return. The people that came came because they wanted to. And in fact, I believe they were given money and stuff too. They were given more means mm-hmm. to right. come back. And so instead of taking that money mm-hmm. and using it for God's glory, they took care of themselves first. Mm-hmm. They started building the house. And I think what happened was they thought because we're at the land now, we're at the promised land, we're going to be blessed because we're at the land. I think so what happens in America then and the Christianity in America, because we, we've been born in America We've been told our whole lives, this is the promised land, this is the light on the hill, this is the most blessed nation in the world and in existence and all these things. And so we have a tendency to think because I'm an American and because I was born here, mm-hmm. then I, automatically I'm going to get these blessings anyway. Right. And at the same time, we have people that live in America that are nowhere near where they need to be mm-hmm. to, to be deemed a success. I mean, they're, they're, they're struggling, they're... Um, you know, uh, underprivileged. There are all these things that are that are going on right under the steeples of the of the church house, and so um, I think the motivation then. I was reading from the uh, message when he told him to go. You know, send sons up on, on the hill to get the lumber. Mm-hmm. He says, "This is God speaking. Here's what I want you to do: climb the hills, cut some timber, bring it down, rebuild the temple. Do it just for me, honor." Me, you've mm-hmm. had great ambitions for yourself, but nothing has come up of it. The little you've brought to my temple, I've blown away. There's nothing to it. So, so God was trying to get their motivation changed. I think in their mind, I think part of the temple too was almost like if we have the temple, we have God's blessings as well, and and becomes like this crutch that you know it's the same way that got them into exile. They yeah. thought that they could live whatever way they wanted to, but they were just as guilty. As, as, as the nations around them. And I think so God wants us to honor him not to build a big building and all and put a plaque on the window and all these things. It's to honor him with yeah. what we do. See, I think it's all about their heart. What's, what's interesting is if you go to Ezra and you read like Ezra 1 through uh, about 6, you get the story that's kind of the, that, that where, where, this, where this takes place. And when they first show up on the scene, the very first thing they do is they, they repair the altar and they're, they begin offering sacrifices. So it's like they're, it seemed as though their heart was in the right spot, like they were doing the right actions. Let me, let me, let me back that up. They were doing the right actions, Jeremiah. Maybe their hearts weren't in the right spot because they thought, okay, well, we're doing sacrifice now. We're back to doing ritual stuff again. And now, um, you know, it, yeah, okay, the temple's not in great shape. We... We'll, we'll deal with that later. Look, we're still doing offerings. We're still doing our sacrifices. And, and, and it's almost like they were starting to go back to the patterns that we've seen in these earlier, with these earlier prophets. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, so I'm trying to track in my brain how I can say this the quickest. But um, 
essentially they go right they go to to the temple and they're re- rebuilding the temple and they do what I would do right what is essential and they build the altar right right that's essential to their worship so they start on the right track right like let's do the essentials first and then we'll we'll focus on like the what we would say is less important or less essential so I think they just started they started on the right track and and Blake made a great point to say they're on the right track they're moving they're building the temple they're they're doing worship they they do a feast I think feast of booths mm-hmm. uh Passover um they're doing all these uh things rituals and I think they're doing it with great intent great uh their hearts in it right um but then Blake Blake is right and I think what happens is they begin to get comfortable Mm-hmm. And they begin to focus on their houses. I think at some point they're doing houses and worship. Like they're trying to do both at the mm-hmm. same time, which just makes sense. You've got to have essentials, right? Shelter and those types of things. But then they start at some point get too comfortable and start focusing. So maybe the best way to, to talk about this uh, in our own lives to give an illustration is, you know how when you like, like I picture a big old beanbag chair. Right. Yeah. You know, when you first get in that beanbag chair, it's pretty comfortable. Yeah. But the longer you sit there, it kind of molds to your body and you get you just kind of sink into it and, yeah. and you get even more comfortable. Well, also, the longer you sit there, the harder it is to get up and the harder it yeah. is to yeah. to get motivated to, to move. Yeah. That's a good um, yeah. And so I think that's kind of what's going on. And if we're not careful in America, we can do the same thing. Right, because the more comfortable you get, for instance, the more, the more you put into your house, or the more, and, and I'm not saying these things are bad, but the more money you've invested into a house and a location and those types of things, what happens when God's wanting you to get up and move? Right. God says, "Go, I want you to go do this, even if it's move across town or help this other person." It's it. You're stuck in that beanbag chair, right? Right. And your motivation is much harder. Yeah. Not saying you can't, because yeah. obviously at some point we all get out of the beanbag chair, hopefully. But um, it's just harder. Right. I think I I, I I think back to a conversation I had just recently with my wife, and we were talking about something very similar. And I said, what you want to be able to do is you you want to be able to set yourself up so that if God asks you to help if god presents an opportunity to you you're not so strapped that you can't do it you've not you've not pushed yourself so far into a corner that you're no longer that you're so focused on yourself and on your stuff that you don't have the ability to help other people when that opportunity comes up does that i mean you know mm-hmm. what i'm saying yeah or you know or invest or move or whatever it is right yeah. that that you always because your driving desire, your driving motivation is not yourself or yourself or self gratification. Your as a Christian, your desire should be to how can I serve God? How can I serve the church? How can I serve Christ the best? Mm-hmm. That's what it should always be. And yeah. and if I'm doing things that's going to prevent me from being able to serve Him best, yeah. then I need to reevaluate my 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 my, my desires. Right, Blake. Absolutely. Yeah, so, I want to go ahead. Say something there. So, I guess kind of to say the same thing you're saying. When I said we would focus on essentials, I think we do that pretty good, but that's all that we do sometimes. Sometimes we're like, 
I want to do the bare essentials, like the bare minimum, and I don't want to do anything extra. What's going to get me by, you know, here's this line, draw the line in the sand. I want to cuddle right up next to the line, just barely get over it to make sure I'm, I'm good. Mm-hmm. When God's saying, no, there's more. There's, there, I don't, good, you're doing the essentials. Thank you for that. Right. But, but I have so much more for you and for your family. And, and, and that's the key. It's not that there's more for you to do. It's there's more I want to bless you with if only you would allow me to do that, right? Yeah. There's Because the blessings, that's what people get confused so much. Well, if I give God all this stuff, then I've got nothing left over for myself. And God says, if you give me all that stuff... It's not that I'm going to take care of you in this material way, but I'm going to give you blessings that are going to blow your mind. Yeah, you're just robbing yourself when you're when you're withholding from God. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. I want to I want to I want to jump off of that point onto a, on a, onto another, because as I mentioned, they build this temple. They build they they begin building it. They build a foundation. And again, in Ezra, you go there and you see they 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 put the foundation up. It's done. And at that time, there's great, there's a great shout. There's people shouting and stuff. Some are shouting for joy, and some are wailing, like literally wailing and sobbing because it's not what it used to be. It's not what it used to be. And the Bible actually says that the the, the shouting and the wailing were so much you couldn't tell one from the other. It was like, and then you get over into Haggai, and you see him talk to them about this. He says, you you know. Um, Who's left among you who saw this house in its former glory? How does it look to you now? Doesn't it seem like nothing to you? And then he says, even so, be strong, Zerubbabel. The Lord's declaration, be strong, Joshua, son of Jehoshadak, high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land. Work, for I am with you. And this is the promise I made to you when you came out of Egypt. My spirit's present among you. Don't be afraid. Um, What do we say to people? And there are going to be people. Who, when all this is said and done, going back to something you said earlier, Jeremiah, about we've we've gotten to the essentials, Jeff. We've gotten back to where we, maybe back to what the foundation is, right? Mm-hmm. And people look and go, but it's not the same. This isn't church anymore for me. This isn't this isn't. Or maybe they even look at what we we look at it and go, oh, this is this is. There's some good to be found here. And other people are like, this just isn't church. What do you say to them? What do you, what do you say to them? What, like what you know, there there are literally people who I think are going to look at this foundation and go, it's not the same. It's just not the former glory. It's not like it was in the glory days. Well, I think I think we can definitely agree and say no, this is not the same. But we also have to ask ourselves, why is it not the same? Could it be that Maybe God is re- reworking some things in our lives to help us bring more glory to Him. And that's what we have to ask our question. I don't think focusing on what it used to be is the best way to look at it, but how in the now can I give the most glory to God? How can I work in the middle of a pandemic to bring glory to God? Because that's what the people here in Haggai were doing. They work and the Holy Spirit roused them. You know, mm-hmm. we got to be in sync with the Holy Spirit right now and be roused by the Spirit. And so, yeah, I don't think a, I don't think it's good to focus so much on all of the glory days because that's in the past. We got to focus on the now, and the mission is even more urgent now. So, I would just encourage people to, yeah, I'll agree and say no. It's, you're right; it is in the past, but 
that's in the past. We got a lot of, there's still a lot of harvest left to go. We got to keep pushing forward. And Jeff, you've been here longer than any of the four of us in this room. You know what, you know what the past look like. I mean, better than we do. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you bring those who are mourning and weeping the past alongside of those who want to shout for joy for what the future can hold? Well, I think that's, that's part of our, our whole um, dilemma if you want to think about that as an association uh, of churches in Durham, when you look at all the churches, um, when there was this big church growth movement in the 40s, 50s, 60s, when all these churches were being built and these family life centers were being built, and um, you see you see these magnificent buildings out there on the road. And then if you go, before even before COVID, and, and go to any of those those places, um, places that seat three and four hundred people, and there's twenty five or thirty people there. Mm. So you have a group of people that remember those days when churches were growing, when the communities were being reached, when buildings were being pl- built, and churches were being planted. And and so in their mind, they're still there. They're still thinking. In their mind, you know, we have this building, we built these great facilities, we have a sign up, we have all these people. Why, why aren't they coming? Why aren't they participating? Mm-hmm. And then at the same time, then you've got a group of people that, you know, have, have relocated to Durham from all over the, the world, basically, and even the United States. And they don't remember glory days, and they don't remember these churches when things were vibrant and growing and all. They just ride by and see buildings. Mm-hmm. And there's no motivation for them to even walk into a building. If you right. if you haven't been exposed to Christianity and church and all, then so we we live in this tension then of a group of people that remember those days, and then a group of people that have no idea what those days were like. Right. And the whole point is, it's not the building. It's it's God's spirit moving, and somehow or another we got to get back to God's spirit moving and moving among us. And as he moves among us, then we move into our... And I think when, once we kind of get back out to where we can be in the community, it's going to be important for people to, to tell people how they made it through. How did you make it... May it be a great, uh, great conversation start. Let me ask you, how did you make it through? Mm-hmm. Or, I, 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 oh, I, you lost your wife during this time. How did you make it through that? Because right. I've lost, you know, I lost a cousin. And here's how I made it through. So these... God's going to give us these opportunities yeah. for us to do that, but we can't just be focused on what we used to do in the past and we bit, we built these buildings because you know they're telling us one out of five churches are going to right. be closed down. These buildings are going to be empty and they're not going to open back up. Right. So and 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 that was a question I was going to ask you, Jeremiah. That. that you're right. I'm, I'm hearing the same statistics. It's, it's, it's mind-blowing to think of, but one out of every five churches could... I mean, we're going to see lots of churches shuttered after this. Yeah. Clearly, the foundation is going to be different. And in fact, we're going to be we're going to be trying to minister in the midst of ruins, it's going to feel like, I think, in many ways. Um, does that, How do we keep people from, from seeing the ruins of what we had... As, as not a sign that God's gone or that, that, that God's done or that we're, you know, because I think there are going to be a lot of people who when churches are closing, when doors are finally closing, people are going to be like, well, that's it. There's no, you know, 
There's just not God. God's finished with us, or God's done with us, or God's you know God is God's clearly not not active like He was before. What do we say to Him? Yeah. So same thing. I would say the the to the to the previous question. Right. I would say the same thing to them. If if you believe God is not active in your life, or that God is not moving because your building is now gone, then the building was your God. Mm, mm, mm-hmm. um, so the building had become an idol. Sure. And so when, when we look at the former things, right, and we, and, and we do it, I do it. I'm like, man, I really wish I could have this or I really wish I could have that. But for me, and I've said this quite a bit, when the pandemic started, it, and even still now, when we're, what, nine, ten months into this thing. Right, right. Um, you, it's, it's a great opportunity to see what, where your idols are. Because those things that you want the most that may not be a, a very big part of worship or, or when you catch yourself saying something like, man, the worship's just, my worship's just not as good. Or my worship, if, if we had this, it would be better, right? Those things, whatever that is that you're saying, whether it's, I don't know, a certain type of music or a certain type of lighting or not, not internet or whatever it is, those things could be idols in your heart. And, right. and you need to search your, your heart, search uh, those things out to make sure that um, your worship is, is pure and that it's focused on, on the right thing. So it's interesting, and just a thought occurred to me. We're talking right now about how God is not married to a building, right? That God mm-hmm. is not, God can't be boxed into a certain type of worship. God isn't, just because these certain things are removed doesn't mean God has stopped working. And in fact, God never stops working. God is always at work in amongst his people. And yet, it seems as though God is, in, at least in Haggai, God is saying, I want a building. I want to, you know, I, what, yeah. why, you know, I'm supposed to have a building. You're not taking care of my building. Yeah. Like, how do we reconcile those two things together, guys? It, is that what God's saying? I mean, that's a good, good question. Right. right? Uh, is God saying I want the building, or is God saying I want your hearts? And there's a fine line there. And Haggai, he's he's pretty adamant about, hey, work on my work on the building. Right, work on the temple. Because all along, man, we've been talking about how, you know, oh, just because you don't have, just because you don't have grapes, just because you don't have bread, just because you don't have goats, doesn't mean that you stop worshiping God. Yeah, so I think the best answer lies in chapter uh, 2, a little further down with the with the analogy, right? With mm-hmm. the, what the gospel, Bible project called a, a, a parable. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so they're all complaining, right, that the temple is is not great they don't think it's good or some of them mm-hmm. think it's it's not very good so then he does the, the the if meat is bad and you touch or the the body is dead then you get the meat from the dead body and 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 whatever you touch now whatever that touches is defiled right right and then think about them and how they're working on the temple and god's basically or haggai's using as a parable to say whatever your hands touch is is defiled it's because your heart is defiled and so everything that you work on everything that you build up right now is is done by false motivation 
And remember, those are the words of God, right, given to the people. And he says, uh, this temple, it, it's important from now, but even this temple is not the idea, right? right? It's, it's not what we're moving towards. It's a picture of the idea. And so that's why to preserve the story, preserve the picture, and, and just to motivate them to, to look at their hearts and, and to worship God purely, right. with a pure heart. Blake, going back to the, the message that you preached, the, the, the third point was all focused on the promise. Um, the promise that God has given to, in, in the case of Haggai, the promise that he, he reminds them of the promise that he's made to them, the covenant that he's made with them. How does reflecting on God's promise or promises motivate us to look beyond some of these things we're talking about, to look beyond what we don't have and what we want and those kinds of things. How does, how does reflecting on God's promises really help us to, um, to evaluate our desires? How does it really, how does it work? Is it key in this? Yeah, absolutely. Um, First thing, to be honest, what came to mind when you were asking me that was when Jesus told his disciples right before he was about to ascend back up into heaven, he says, I'm going to be with you even till the end of the age. Mm -hmm. And that's a promise from Jesus. And that was in the context of them going out and making disciples. And so knowing that he is with us in the presence of the Holy Spirit, you know, we can get through this. We can get through this. And our mission... You know, is propelled by the Holy Spirit to go out and make other people or to get other people into this covenant with God that way we can bring them into the marriage with God you know kind of like we we're almost sort of like uh, matchmakers <laughs> yeah. if you put it in like a dating sense because we want to get people hooked up with God in a way like that you know we want to get people <laughs> we want to get people oh, that's the words of like that's the words of the, the, the Gen Z there <laughs> yeah and, but, but if you think about it we are alright if you have get, questions call Blake later on. <laughs> but we are trying to get people into a relationship with God no and, you're right yeah, yeah. And we are trying to get people to love God and worship them with all of our hearts. Like you said, yeah. you want to put a ring on it. God yeah. wants to put a ring on it. He just don't want to hook up with you. So. That's right. He wants a commitment. That's yeah, right. Commitment. Like, like a life commitment. Yeah, yeah. Covenant. But yeah. Jeff, how do we... Uh, I think about like right now. Mm. Like right now is a time where it seems as though the promises that were given at Christmas, or that we celebrate at Christmas anyway... Mm. Are especially significant, and like when I we talked about this a little bit last week when I hear people talk about the lights and stuff and what a difference that makes. Does do you think the promise that we like the Christmas promise that we're celebrating can help us to to navigate these ruins too? Yeah, because we we know the promise and the reason why we celebrate Christmas, of course, is is Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, came among us, and you know He went into that great temple that Herod built later on and mm -hmm. they were they were amazed about you know all these buildings and everything and then jesus says destroy this temple in three days i'll rise it up and yeah, so right. the false accusation was that he claimed they were going to destroy the temple and raise it back up in three days and like you know it took years you know for this to be built how could he do that and he was talking about the temple the body where he could rise again and then Later on, he's going to send the Holy Spirit so that, that Paul actually reinterprets everything and says, we are the temple mm -hmm. of God. And that's where God wants to dwell. Because in AD 70, 
that temple's destroyed. That's right. And so for the Jewish people, you know, they've been living thousands upon thousands of years holding on to these symbols and rituals. Whereas we, as Christians, when we come to know Christ, we understand and know that for thousands of years, Christ has been with every generation, every group of people, every place all over the world that's heard the gospel and people responded through pandemic and warfare and overthrows their governments and everything else. And so that helps us bring back our focus because I think before the pandemic, I think people were complacent. Uh, we did have a cultural Christianity. We did have a building. It was all about those things instead of saying, all right, what's it really about? Because there is a generation of people out there. There are people that are unchurched or dechurched or never been churched. Um, they don't really know what it's about. And if it's to join my club and now you got to pay these dues and you got to come during these times and you got to do these certain things, they don't really want that or need that in their life. What they need in their life is Christ. And so, like, for example, like our light show, you know, it's just a simple way of saying, enjoy the holiday. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and where people are enjoying Christmas because it's about family and gifts and all that other things, they pull them to the parking lot, they hear the music, um, but they hear the message too. And so it's refocusing them on what, what really this is all about. Um, and so that's going to be our goal once we come back and we start building on the rebuilding the ruins and on the foundation is finding out really why are we here as a church and how do we go about trying to um, win people to Christ. Yeah. yeah. So that ultimate promise when Jesus does come back, because, you know, if we put our trust and hope in governments, those governments are going to be toppled again. Mm -hmm. And ultimately, he's going to be the ultimate ruler. Yeah, yeah. And that's where we have to put our focus. It's like Jeremiah always talked about the big picture. Right. The big picture. We've got to go back to the big picture. I really like something you said uh, in in that and it goes back to what I was saying before, how do we reconcile this idea of um, we don't need a building, we don't need a temple, but God is seem, seems to be focused on the temple here. And I think you, you answered it there, and that's that the temple has changed now, right? Mm-hmm. The temple is no longer a building. And it's so interesting that when you, when you look at the, the overall arc of God's presence with, with, with what he calls his people, you know, initially it's in the tabernacle and... And, and wherever wherever that's going, God God shows up, right? Then there's the temple. And at the temple, you've got a central place where God is there and people can come to him and um, or, you know come to worship at that central spot. Then then you have Jesus who comes, who literally God is God is with us and God is walking around with us in person now, right? And now the most intimate, um, his home is in his people. His home is in us. And so when, we, when we're trying to draw an analogy maybe from Haggai to ourselves, I think part of the way we draw that analogy is that we are that temple now. We are that temple. And so if we're not taking care, and I don't mean in a bodily sense. I'm not talking about, oh, you got to work out and all that kind of stuff. I'm talking about keeping our hearts right. Yeah. Our hearts have become the temple of God. And so... You know, if all you're focusing on are your bodily desires and the things that you want, the things that are going to satisfy you, then you're not really focusing on what's really important, which is your heart. And that's where God is. That's where God is dwelling. And, and, and now is a time, Blake, for renewal of that heart, renewal of that temple, 
Um, now, while while everything is is stripped back and it's all just it's been laid bare, and we're, we're right back to the foundation of our hearts, and whether or not we're going to be able, we're, we're just going to give those over to God, and and work on building that, letting Him build that that temple in us, so we can be a temple for God, and uh, maybe maybe point others uh, to to Him by by serving as a temple. So anyway, one one final thought. Luke. Sure, go ahead. Um, in the in the message, as he closes out the the book, when he tells Zerubbabel, he says. I've looked over the field and I've chosen you for this work. Mm-hmm. And I think as God is looking over the field that we live in today, mm. and we come back, we got to realize God has chosen all of us. Right. Yeah. Not just the pastors, but all of us that are Christians yeah. for the work he wants to do in this time now, you know, post-pandemic. Right. Once we get back together. Yep. I agree. Well, it's been a good discussion today, guys. I've enjoyed it. Um, next week. We will have Monday Main Point. Um, uh, and we'll be talking about Zechariah. And so we'll, uh, week of Christmas, talking about Zechariah. Jeff, you're going to be preaching this coming Sunday. Uh, Zechariah comes right after Haggai. And I, the way I understand it, these prophets were contemporaries of one another. And mm-hmm. so they're going to be dealing with a lot of the same sort of thing. Only Haggai had two chapters and you have 14 chapters to cover. So. Yeah, a lot of apocalyptic stuff. Too. All right. All right. So it'll be fun. We'll have a good discussion next week. You all have a great rest of your week, and we'll see you right back here next Monday for Monday Main Point. So long.